Welcome to the inaugural season of This Is Your Life in Silicon Valley, the podcast. I'm your host, Sunil Rajaraman, and I'm joined by my co-host, Yasha Kekas-Wolf. I was, uh, I was on an airplane yesterday and the week before and the week after that. I, I feel like I live on an airplane most of the time these days. As I was bouncing around from airport to airport, I kept reading the designation of the airport, like FLA, NWK, SFO, PDX, SEA. I don't understand why they're named the way that they're named. You have any idea? Well, it's funny for our guest, Alexia Sotsis, we actually spent a little bit of the time uh, of the interview with apologies to our listeners Googling the names behind the uh, the three-letter acronyms of these airports. Uh, it was a pretty cool conversation. That aside, which I personally enjoyed a lot, Alexia has been kind of a tastemaker in the Bay Area for many years now. She has this really cool crossover career, studying as a journalist and as an artist, and then finding her way into the world of journalism, only to be transported from Los Angeles up to the Bay Area, where she was the editor for one of your competitors at the Bullet Italic. So, you know, as the editor-in-chief of TechCrunch, you know, Alexia really presided over the site during a time that was extremely critical. The site had just gone through an editorial change from Michael Arrington to Alexia, and Alexia really was the steward of the site and helped keep it as the leader uh, in, in technology news over the past five years. She kind of talks about, somewhat in jest, somewhat very seriously, about how she was one of the contributors to what a lot of us in the Bay Area call the hype machines. This idea that you get excited about a technology and the founder and the idea, and then you get it into the press, and then it, it's even become a thing that shows up in TV shows like Silicon Valley. You know, but one of the things about even just going through this interview with her, it forced her to reflect and forced us to reflect on what it is we actually love about San Francisco. And I think a lot of people have the uh, feeling that they're just people who live here and don't actually embark in the experience of the city, but it's a place where they have a room. There's some kind of funny moments and poignant moments, but the thread of San Francisco is a place that you can love, especially if you're intentional about it, I think really shows up loud and clear through this conversation. We hope you enjoy it as much as we do. Awesome. Welcome to This Is Your Life in Silicon Valley podcast. We appreciate you being here. Thank you for having me. Uh, So really serious question right off the bat. Is it Frisco, San Fran, San Francisco, or SFO? (laughs) It's SFO. It's SFO. (laughs) Exactly. Ah, this is what we were just talking about. Um... So one of the reasons I agreed to this podcast, or agreed to it after knowing what it it was about San Francisco, was I really think that if you take anything away from me being on this this show, it's that you shouldn't call San Francisco San Fran. (laughs) Why? (laughs) Why? Because it sounds like nails on a chalkboard. San Fran. San Fran. It sounds like you're too lazy to say the Cisco, the two syllables at the end of San Francisco. It's like you just give up. San Fran. San Fran. You think you're being cool. You think you're you're like in with the locals calling it San I think Fran. It's like, I think mm-hmm. it is the exact same thing as wearing the same clothes every day because you just don't want to have that little extra mental energy to pick something out different every day. It's the same thing. What does the O in San Francisco stand for? SFO, the airport designation. It's. I'm going to sound so knowledgeable, but literally it's because I just Googled. It stands for the last letter of San Francisco. 
the O because you need to have a three-letter designation. It is so ridiculous. Like, <laughs> how uncreative. There could be something else. It could have been Candlestick. What's the name of the neighborhood that the airport's in? Uh, it's near Millbrae. Yeah. <laughs> SFM. SFM. No, that's that what sounds it too sexual. Well, there's maybe a nice relationship into San Francisco. <laughs> what, do you, what do you guys think? You think, does San Fran annoy you as, as much as it does me? You're actually the first person I've ever met that's been annoyed by somebody calling it San Fran. Frisco is the thing that drives me crazy. Like, crazy. And I'm not, like, I'm not a native San Francisco. I grew up in Oregon. And I still, I'm like, why would you ever call it Frisco? Why would you write it? Why would you say it? It makes no sense to me. Like, none. I don't care for San Fran. I don't I don't like it when people call it San Fran either. Frisco is also terrible. Pretty terrible. <laughs> SF is okay. So this is a pretty pretty good, uh, pretty good cold start. Uh, where, uh, where did you grow up? So I was born in L.A., I was born at the Sunset uh, Kaiser, so right in the middle of L.A. I bounced around L.A. for a while, and when I was 14, I moved to Athens, Greece. That's a pretty normal transition for most kids. Yeah, yeah. That's Every kid has to go from uh, suburban Los Angeles to a dense European city <laughs> in their formative years. <laughs> it didn't make me a total weirdo, crazy person at all. Mm. I had a really normal, normal childhood. What? Uh, how did you end up here? How did I end up here? So after the financial crisis in 2008... Could not find a job. And so I begged my friend, who was the web editor at the LA Weekly, to let me do anything. And I have a creative writing degree, super useful, and a painting degree, which was also really useful. So, like, if the creative writing didn't work out, I'd be a painter and support myself that way. I wasn't really thinking about uh, employment when I chose my majors. So I begged my friend to give me a writing job. And she's like, okay, you can cover events for the LA Weekly. And so my first event was a skating rink opening up in downtown LA. Skate date is the, you can still Google this article, it's super embarrassing for me, but uh, my second article was about an event called the Geek Dinner. I went to this event and it was all of these LA startup people, like the nascent LA startup scene. I was like, this is really cool. And so I wrote about the event and the unique thing that I did was I linked to all of their social media accounts and their sites. So I linked to like their Twitters. And so when the article got published online, the geeks at the Geek Dinner shared it. And so it ended up getting a lot of web traffic. And my friend who was the web editor is like, can you do this again? Because it was one of the top articles. I was like, yeah, let me find these people again. And that's how I accidentally stumbled into covering tech and startups. Oh. <laughs> Yeah. And so I, I, they took, brought me on full-time at the, or they brought me on as a web assistant at the LA Weekly. And then, actually, do you know Ted Reingold? Who recently passed, passed. away. Yeah. So he's, he really affected everyone's life for the better, I think. But he, he affected my life for the better because he hired the SF Weekly web editor at Dogster. He hired her to go from the SF Weekly to Dogster. At the time, we're like, what, what, where is she going? She went from editing at the SF Weekly to editing at Dogster. That left a vacancy. So she decided to suggest to her boss that her vacancy should be replaced by me. So I got promoted to web editor of the SF Weekly because she's like, you know what, Lexi has done such a good job covering the tech scene. 
in LA in 2009. She's going to be amazing covering the tech scene in San Francisco. Did you always think that you wanted to move to San Francisco or was this kind of somewhat accidental? Uh, so I always wanted to move to San Francisco. That's the bizarre irony of my life. Like I went to college, I went to undergrad in LA and I remember hating LA because it's always the same day. It's like Groundhog Day. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, the weather never changes. There's no change. So you like don't really get a sense of the passing of time because it's always 80 degrees. So I thought San Francisco was a place where you could get a sense of the passing of time. You could, there was history. The, mm -hmm. the houses were Victorian. There was a density that didn't exist in L.A. You felt like you were in an amazing city. I thought it was a dream, a dreamland of sorts. So getting the chance to move up here for a job, a writing job, mm -hmm. using my degree <laughs> in SF, it was, it was like a miracle had happened. Yeah. After being here for uh, eight years, the newness and the joy of that miracle kind of has rubbed off. Yeah. And so part of my prep for this podcast was trying to rekindle that that romance I had with the city because I remember just like thinking of it as the place where things happened. Yeah. yeah. You paint a pretty beautiful picture of right? San Francisco, right? I suppose, is that part of the artist in you, kind of seeing the Painting idealized the view of the places yeah. that you want to go? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Are there, are there things right now in San Francisco that you feel like maybe could rekindle that for you? Yes. And so part of the irony of really wanting to live here is I'm never here. So I live a couple blocks away from this office. I'm never here. I was just in LA. I'm leaving for Nairobi on Saturday. I can't wait to get out of here because I find a lot of the uh, negative externalities of the tech boom. Uh-huh as grading as someone saying San, San Fran. So I think that because there's been an influx of, of tech workers due to, you know, the mobile revolution, among other things, the cloud, because there's an influx of tech, tech workers and everyone's transient and everyone's involved with startups and everyone just talks about work all the time. There's a kind of fakeness to interacting with people. Like everyone's always killing it. Everyone's always just raised a bunch of money from Sequoia. In the conversations here, you're not usually talking about art. You're not talking about literature. There's a lack of culture. And instead it's it's replaced by like a, a false veneer of killing it all the time. I think that's hard for me as an artist and as a writer to be around because I know that everyone's not always killing it. I know that fundraising sucks. I know that if you're working at a startup, there's a good chance that that startup's not going to be around in yeah. two years. <laughs> like, we've gotten to be, as a city, like, a work town. Like, I have USF as my office. Like, when I come back yeah. from L.A., I feel like I'm going into the office, <laughs> even though I'm, I live here and I, I wanted to live here my whole life. But everyone talks about work. Everyone talks about how they're doing amazing at work. Yeah. And no one's vulnerable and no one's talking about the darker yeah. aspects of these Well, things. let's, let's dig money, into that on this, uh, on this podcast. I think this is a good thread to walk down. But before we do that, I mean, you're, you are kind of leaving a big part of your story out, which is, I mean, you were the editor-in-chief of arguably I I the it. highest <laughs> profile publication during this boom. So... Can you tell us a little bit about the transition to TechCrunch and what you saw over the, the period of time that you were there and how things changed? You were part of the hype machine. I was part of the people who believed that tech was making the world a better place. I actually, in many ways, even though I have more nuanced point of view post uh, 2016, I still think it's making the world a better place. 
I think there's a lot of issues with how the internet has made us much more siloed and isolated. And I think there's a big fake news problem that our industry is pretty responsible for. Mm -hmm. But I still believe in technological progress towards a greater good. I'm hopeful that the people behind the products that we're building as an industry, I'm hopeful that those people are ethical, moral people that understand their impact. I was much more... (laughs) Hopeful in 2009, 2010. Mm-hmm. Now I realize that some of the impact of tech and some of these negative externalities aren't so great. And so we need to like have a come to Jesus moment as a sector and try to figure out like, are we actually a unfettered capitalist machine ruthlessly pursuing efficiency at the expense of uh, human dignity? Or are we trying to improve lives with the tech that we built? I don't know. Back, if you were to ask me in 2010, I, I believe that 100%. What are some companies or people, in your opinion, that are staying true to that mission that you would mention that are legitimately pursuing tech toward a greater good? Lorraine Powell Jobs, for sure. You hear what Lorraine's invested in. She, she bought the Atlantic to try to mm-hmm. try to stem the fake news problem. You hear what she's investing in, and you're like, wow, no, she's really solving problems. She's one. Uh, Michaels Vane from uh, from Zendesk, they're taking advantage of the tax breaks for being on mid-market. But as a company, they're committed to engaging with the community. So they have a a pledge as a a company to be more involved in the mid-market district. I think they volunteer at homeless shelters. I think they've got a lot of community building as company values. And the workforce makes sure that their actions reflect that. Uh, Who else? I think that's the Tipping Point organization, the people who pledged $100 million in homelessness and SF, I think that's a lot of tech people. There's some big mm-hmm. Facebook people. I think that org is, is working on making our small 7 by 7 plot of land better for everyone here, not just the people making hundreds of thousands of dollars working for Facebook or Apple. So if you paint this kind of beautiful picture of San Francisco that attracts you to move here and you're going to share some of the challenges, or at least this very, a very nuanced view of the way that things are now. And you just highlight a few people and organizations that are maybe offering some promise. Like, are you generally optimistic about the future of the city? So, yes, I am. But I, up until getting Sunil's email, I was not. <laughs> <laughs> it helps you refine your thought processes. Yeah. So in thinking about whether I like SF, my default was, oh, God, I hate SF. I don't want to go back. But in thinking about whether I liked SF, I kind of opened my eyes to what's actually going on in the city. Right now, I live around the new Salesforce Tower. And that part of the city is just all construction. Like, there's towers going up. It's it's a little Singapore-esque. And a year ago, my neighborhood was not really a neighborhood. It was sort of dead, right? You, there's no place to go at night. And there's nothing around. It's kind of dead city. It's almost like downtown LA. Yeah. And in the past year, I've noticed as more people move into that part of the city, I've noticed it becoming more dense, which I love. In walking to work in the morning, I see other people walking to work. It's like a stream of people walking to work. I'm like, wow, there's other, there are other people in this neighborhood. <laughs> it's like in New York, when everyone's walking, you feel the rush of, of humanity. Uh, a grocery store finally opens, and at night, there's a place to go. Yeah. So I, I can walk to my grocery store, and I, I and it's a beautiful store. It's super expensive, like everything else in the city. 
But I walk in and there's people in line. There's like, there's actual people around. It's becoming a different city. It's not, it's not the city of the, of Pack Heights and the Victorians and the hate anymore. It's evolving into a city where people live downtown in towers. And so I'm, I'm hopeful that as population density increases in my neighborhood, that maybe we'll get a small bar. (laughs) Maybe we'll get a park. Maybe we'll get a cool coffee shop, coffee shop where everyone hangs out. We have a fills, but maybe I'll start seeing all the people that live around me. And that's, super exciting it's something new that's happening that we get to i'm a participant in it like i get to influence this new neighborhood being created because we need places to house all these tech people yeah you know one thing that we've talked to some of our guests about is this notion that right now so we're we're in it we're living the the startup tech life but the rest of the country and the rest of the world (laughs) really has a kind of fetishizes you know, what, what we're going through and that's, you know, becoming a, a really big part of pop culture. What are some things that are happening in San Francisco or in tech that sound totally ridiculous right now, but are likely to become mainstream phenomena? Lots of things. So uh, when I got back from Athens this summer, my very next day I had a meeting because it's a work sit because it's my office. And Athens is not, you know, there's a crisis in Greece and Parts of Europe are super populous. Uh, this is not, it's not a, va- a super modern city. Mm-hmm. So I get back here, I go to my meeting, and I'm I'm like, it's in Hayes Valley, drinking my fancy overpriced coffee. And the guy who I'm in the meeting with is like, look, there's the cruise car. And I look, and it's like a self-driving car. <laughs> <laughs> but cruise is testing in San Francisco, because I guess Kyle Voigt, the co-founder, said San Francisco is the worst place to drive. And that's why we have self-driving cars. So I, I think the combination of automation and, and not wanting to own things is going to change the entire planet. And I'm hoping for the better. If we flip that over and we think about maybe a myth that is perceived about Silicon Valley that you could, or San Francisco in particular, that you could dispel, like, is there something that you find often in your travels where you're just like, that's ridiculous, you guys, that actually isn't San Francisco at all? Huh. I think the myth that we're all hippies Wait, is that a real thing? (laughs) Maybe in Oregon that holds, but here people are, they're more bro-y than hippies. It's almost like someone ported their frat. (laughs) It's almost like somebody ported their frat to to this little strip of of land. That's a a memorable memorable quote. We'll use that one in the write-up. People are liberal because you... To be a futurist, you sort of have to believe in some liberal ideas. Accumulation of wealth is good because it also accumulates power. Like general futurists think about the democratization of something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Decentralization of something. Yeah. I mean, we have a ex- the extreme point of view of that, which is the libertarians. But like, there's liberal facets in the city, and I think that comes through. It's a uh, LGBTQ mm-hmm. legacy, and I think it comes through the the culture of the beat poets that were here. So I think there's threats of that, but at this point, like we're getting people from all of, over the country come. It's like an airport, like coming through to to work. Yeah. So there's less of that poetry aspect of it, and more of a kegger, <laughs> a kegger that's all dudes. <laughs> <laughs> if that's uh, that's amazing and biting. Uh, if uh, if, oh, no. if you leave, no, 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 no. 
good way. In a good way. When when you leave when you leave Salesforce Town where you live, <laughs> what's your favorite neighborhood to go to? I really love Hayes Valley. Yeah. I love the mission. I uh, my husband and I walk. We love to walk, and we w- will walk from Soma to the mission. I often view this is one really nice thing about SF, and I'm going to try to cultivate this pattern. Like, you can port around. So just like there's microclimates, there's yeah. micro-neighborhoods. So I can port from Soma, which to me seems like a like a Seattle-y place. I can port from Soma to the Mission, mm-hmm. which is like Echo Park or Silver Lake in L.A. Yeah. And it's like being in a totally different city. Yeah. yeah. I couldn't agree more. It's, it's one of the aspects of the Bay Area that I just absolutely love. I live in Marin. And I get to come into Soma every day. And I lived in Seattle, so it, it like, like, oh, this all kind of feels relatable. And I, like, I really appreciate that about it here. The way you describe the idea of there being these kind of micro-neighborhoods that are the equivalency of a microclimate is a really beautiful way to think about the city. Like, it's pretty wonderful that way. Yeah, I, I, I think that this is going to help fuel my optimism about SF. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. We like we like the optimism, uh, but let's go back to the possibly pessimistic for a second. Here. Um, Have you had more optimists or pessimists on the show? I would say more pessimists. So my, I mean, everybody says yeah. that they're optimistic yeah. about the future of San Francisco, but uh, when you get into the details, when you get into the yeah. details, they're actually pessimistic currently. Maybe is there such a thing as pragmatic pessimism? Because I feel like that's what we get. Yeah, there is such a... I mean, that's just being critical, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's being a realist. Yeah. But I, I had a business school professor who... He's like, I've never met a rich pessimist. <laughs> so I, I try to hold that in my heart when I do look around and mm. start getting depressed at the current state. Yeah. You know, one of the interesting things about your story is that you're a writer and an art... art I mean, you majored in, in an arts, you know, kind of field. And you made it to the top of a totally different industry. Do you think if you did go the artist route that you would be in San Francisco or would you be in another city? New York. Okay, New, York. New York. So one of the, re- I didn't say this earlier, but one of the reasons I fell out of love with San Francisco, I'd never been to New York. <laughs> <laughs> San Francisco to me was like, whoa, this is a city. It's more like Athens. I had, I didn't have anything to compare it to. So I, I ended up going to New York, and I was like, "No, this is a real city. This is this is the, you can get anything you want at any time. You yeah. want uh, faux at three a.m. You can get it. You want like cookie dough, raw cookie, edible cookie dough at four a.m. You can get it. Do you get involved in the arts community here at all? Like, do you see the ballet or the opera or see shows? Or is there anything about arts in San Francisco that's interesting to you? Yeah, I, I think the opera is very interesting. I, I think the SF moment is very beautiful. I think it's, it's a burgeoning art community. Mm-hmm. There's stuff happening. It's just not enough. And yeah. so when I do have the opportunity to be involved, I do. But yeah. it's, it's just not as frequent as I'd like. Yeah. We have other things. We have... Uh, the color factory. We we have art that Some interesting little involves tech, there. Yeah. yeah. Or the the ice cream sandwich museum. Oh, the ice cream yeah. museum. Yeah. <laughs> um, I missed the window on getting tickets for all that stuff. Me too. I'm I'm like, like begging their PR on Twitter. I'm like, please, <laughs> please let me come and take selfies. All my friends are taking. It's like a social media honeypots. Need need the selfies, seeing everyone else's selfies, and I have FOMO. Well, you've just described <laughs> marketing for pretty much every organization in the Bay Area. You have to create your social marketing honeypots. 
Yeah, that's it. Yeah, to our listeners, don't don't forget that as you're thinking about building <laughs> like, a new company after you're inspired by this podcast. Make sure whatever you're building that somebody wants to take a selfie with it. That's my one piece of that's advice. That's great. <laughs> that is great advice. This has been a fantastic conversation. I really, 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 really enjoyed it. We've got uh, one question that we always ask to all of our guests, which is, who are the follows that you would recommend to our listeners? Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever you, whatever you spend your time on. So my favorite follow right now, and I, one caveat, I deleted Twitter from my phone. I still use the mobile app on the web, but I deleted Twitter from my phone because there's a bunch of people you shouldn't be following on there. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm trying to find uh, a bright point of light on a platform that right now is, is way too um, negative for my taste. So tabloid art history. Mm. It's a account that juxtaposes uh, famous paintings with pictures of celebrities from like TMZ and tabloids. So it'll be like Gustav Klimt's The Kiss and then like a Lindsay Lohan drunk. And, like it aesthetically, The Kiss and the picture of Lindsay are very similar. It's like an art nerd account that is a welcome break. From everybody. That's a great one. <laughs> I'm going to check it out now. Yeah. <laughs> Tablet art history. Okay. Well, uh, Lexi, it was great having you. Thanks for being uh, our guest. Cool. Well, thank you for having me. Thanks for reigniting my love for SO. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of This Is Your Life in Silicon Valley, the podcast. We are always looking for great topic suggestions and suggestions for future guests. Email us at info at thebolditalic.com if you have suggestions on either. Thanks for spending some of your time today with us, and we hope you enjoy the rest of season one. <laughs>